Thank you, Jason. You guys have a seat. My name is uh, Jesse, if we've not met yet, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. Now today, I'm, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little like all over the place, and so if I seem, if I seem rushed or more hyper than normal, it's just, you know, it's just normal Jesse uh, behavior. But um, we are in the middle of a series. Uh, we're looking at this passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And what we found is that uh, Jesus, who gives the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it, he explains uh, what God is really like and what, uh, what, what, we should know about him and how we should be. Um, I, I tend to be a, a rule follower. Anybody else in here, like, you know the rules, all the rules to, you know, the game of Monopoly or Sorry. Like, you know, like, those secret rules that nobody knows about and you kind of corner them in a hole. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, there's a few of you. It's okay. Like, you don't want to own it because your family has already been making fun of you about it. And to raise your hand is to just be made fun of even more. My family, uh, they, they just no longer play Monopoly with me because I know how to play the game and, and they don't. Uh, but rules, rules are that way. Rules are important. Uh, they're, they're good for uh, making sure everybody follows the same uh, uh, set of parameters. And I, I just, I was thinking on the way in, there is a, uh, uh, legally speaking, there, there are things about uh, our traffic system that maybe you don't know, uh, but, but let, me, let me lay this out here. Um, there, you know that line at the red light? You, you pull up to the red light, and there's that line across the bottom. You, you know which one I'm talking about? The one you're supposed to stop behind, but we always kind of inch up above that. That line, legally speaking, when it's on the, the, the road in front of you, that is the threshold of the intersection. Okay, and so if you happen to inch past that before you stop, if the front of your bumper crosses the threshold of that line before you come to a stop, do you know that you are in violation of running that red light, running that intersection? Anybody? Did you know that? No? Oh, oh well, some of you are like, yes, I did, and that's why I never do it. Others of you are like, yes, I, sometimes I inch over, but when I see the cop three cars back, I'll put it in reverse, and I'll back back up, and I'll, I'll get away from it. Another interesting thing about that line is that since that is the legal boundary of the intersection, um, as long as your uh, front bumper crosses the threshold of that line before the light turns red, you have cleared the intersection. You have made it through before the light turns red. You can get the rest of your car all the way through that. Now, that's legally my understanding. I'm no lawyer, by the way. Don't take any of my legal advice today. I am hardly the authority on this. If you go to court and you get a ticket for this, well, my pastor said, no, it's not going to stand up. Uh, do your own research. But my understanding of the legal system is that if, uh, if I see a light turn yellow, if I can analyze real quick, can the front of my bumper cross that line before it turns red? Even if it's just an inch, I have cleared the intersection. I can zoom right through that. The problem is uh, there may be a cop nearby watching me and I have to argue for a half of an inch, a quarter of an inch, and he's gonna look at me like, why did you hammer down on that? Like, you had plenty of time to stop. There was no emergency. Uh, well, you see, but the letter of the law is, uh, as I crossed the intersection, you see. And he would say, well, great, congratulations. You go tell the judge that because I'm gonna finish writing this ticket. My, my argument in the moment uh, I can argue for the letter of the law all day, but he, he's going to make the statement, I still felt, felt like that was unsafe. I, st I still felt like you crossed a boundary, and I'm not going to adjudicate this right now. I'm going to let the judges take care of that. Do you understand uh, this concept? Let me, let me give you another one. Uh, my understanding, again, I'm no lawyer, uh, but my understanding of the legal system is that uh, handicap markings um, on the ground are informative but not legally binding. Uh, handicap signs that say this parking is reserved for handicap parking is the legally binding thing. There's nothing about what icon is painted on the ground. And so if I pull into a parking lot 
and I see five painted spots, but only four signs, technically, legally speaking, hmm, put on my nerd glasses, I could park in that fifth spot without my handicap tags, right? Uh, and so I park, if I did, I park in it, and uh, I get out, and I strut in, because I have great parking now, I just strut into HEB or wherever I'm at, um, and then I see a van with handicap plates come in, and I've taken the last, you know, supposedly handicapped spot, and I look at him like, sorry, letter of the law says I don't have to care about that one spot. Uh, you can park in the back 40, I guess. Uh, should I feel morally wrong, a little dirty? Yes or no? Yeah, we all agree that I'm a jerk if I do that, right? Yes, okay, good. It's okay. I, I, I set that up so that you would tell me that I'm a jerk. You don't, you don't have to feel bad. What we're going to look at today uh, is, is a group of people that have become so entrenched with keeping the letter of the law, uh, so entrenched with just like, I'm going to follow every moral uh, piece of legal prescription I can in hopes of making God happy. And in all of their efforts to follow every bit of it, they've missed the bigger picture. And what Jesus is going to do is that he's going to dismantle their understanding of what God's uh, expectation was. And then he's going to point to them about what the moral or the spirit of the law would have been. So if you've not been with us for this whole series, we're on week four of Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it Declaration of the King. Because just like when our government was founded, there was a Declaration of Independence. What we see is Jesus is kind of beginning uh, what we should understand the kingdom to be. The first week we looked at, there's this currency inside the kingdom. The way that people interact and trade, that instead of trading on strength and power and ferocity and, and money, we, we trade in meekness and poorness in spirit, and uh, we trade in... Um, uh, peacemaking instead. And, and, and that the kingdom values those traits in a person more than what the world values as I'm stronger than you and I can put you in your place. The next week we looked at that uh, we, the church, we who call ourselves Christians, who are followers of Jesus, um, that, that we're to be salt and light, Jesus taught us to be. And, and just like a kingdom has embassies in other nations that represent their culture and their values and where there's refuge for their citizens, so also is the church. The church is an embassy in a foreign land, uh, and we operate under different rules, I guess, uh, than, than the world. The world says that if you're weak, you get what's coming to you. The church says if you're weak, we'll protect you and we'll raise you up and hold you in high esteem. Uh, and so we, we, have, we have that. And then, then last week, we looked at the law of the king. It's like, what kind of religion is Jesus planning to set up? What, what, what is this religion going to look like? And he says, uh, you guys know that law in the Old Testament that you guys have all been following? Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish that law. And there, were, there had to have been some people in that room like, are we doing a different thing than Judaism now? Are we like getting away from Abraham and just starting something completely fresh? And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish that law. In fact, I came, I came to fulfill that law. And that's what we talked about last week is that all of our hope, all, all of the hope that every Christian has isn't based on uh, how sincere you are as a follower, how, how correct you are in following each piece of rule as you understand that, uh, or even in how many mistakes you make. It's not even based on how you feel at all. Uh, our security as Christians is based on, did Jesus do what he says that he can do? He said to them, I can fulfill the law. Did he do it? Did he succeed? My faith is based on, yeah, my Jesus, the one I read about in scripture, he fulfilled every bit of that law. And so now I'm free to live under the law of Christ, which is to love God and to love people. So I want to look at a passage. Uh, we're going to look in, uh, we're starting chapter five, verse 21, if you want to follow in your Bible. 
And I want to say two things um, that are, uh, maybe, maybe this is more of a uh, Bible study element before we get to the application of this. Um, I'm going to teach uh, the, next, the rest of the chapter a little bit out of order as it's written in your scripture. I want to tell you why. Uh, in Greek, uh, there's a letter, it looks like our letter X, it's called Chi, say Chi. Kai, uh, it has a hard K sound. Uh, it's the beginning of the word, uh, what we would say Christ or Christos in, in Greek. Uh, just a little bit of trivia. You, you know, church people get mad whenever you, instead of saying Christmas, you say Xmas, right? Like, oh, you're taking Christ out of Christmas. Actually, it's just the letter Kai. It's not really an X, it's a Kai. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, it's keeping Christ in Christmas. It's just, you know, the Greek Christ. Uh, so X Chi, uh, notice that shape has like a, two little inverted V's that go side to side. There is a, um, uh, a way of teaching uh, that is all throughout scripture that's called a chiasm. Uh, it's, it takes, uh, think, think of just one leg of that, just one of the V, like a greater than, less than. And it's a way of speaking that, that they would do orally uh, that would ring true in, in the minds of everybody who heard it. As soon as they heard it, as soon as they heard someone doing this, everybody in the crowd would be like, oh, I see what he's doing. I, I, I get that. You and I, we're, we're Americans, 2,000 years removed. We, we may not have even known that chiasms exist. Here, here's how it works. Uh, think Think of the, the top leg, and it kind of goes in, and then the bottom leg comes back out. And, and imagine that these two points are basically the same point, and they echo each other. And then, so point, the first point and the last point echo each other. And then the second point and the second to last point echo each other. And the third point and the third to last point echo each other. And you see this all throughout Scripture. It's all in the Psalms. It's in the, the entire book of Mark is basically a giant chasm uh, it, it going back and forth. If you're a musician, uh, you see this in, in your lyrics all the time. Uh, uh, they'll say in verse one, this one really big point, but then they leave it open-ended. And then at the end of the song, there's like this bridge or this moment where they close the point and they've echoed the idea on both sides. And in that echoing, there's, there's fulfillment. What Jesus does uh, for the, really, people say it's all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but explicitly here, um, there is at least a two-piece echo. Uh, there's a two-piece chiasm. The first is, uh, he's going to talk about anger, uh, and then I'm going to go down to verse 38, and he talks about retaliation, it's how we uh, interact with people, and then he talks about loving your enemies shortly after that. Uh, they're on both ends of the chapter, but he's echoing his thoughts, and when we pay attention to these echoes, uh, we're going to see deeper and deeper into God's heart for how we treat people. What, what I'm going to call this message is uh, when we talk about the laws, that, that this is the laws of, of the they. Anybody have a they in their life? Uh, you know, like Susan in accounting, how she always has it out for you? You know, you know who I'm talking about? So I, I changed her name and her position and maybe even her gender, but you know, I, like, you know I know that I'm talking about that person you're thinking of right now. That, that Every time you're around them, you just know uh, they're, they're thinking bad thoughts about you. And uh, you know what? They should get what's coming to them, right? It's the they. It's the reason why your Mondays just are so frustrating. It's the they. Um, th this person or people group uh, is, is the reason why our, our government is failing right now. It's the they. Uh, this is, this is the, uh, the, 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 the group of people that are the source of all of our problems as we understand them. The they, right? Uh, Jesus has a lot to say about the they, and I'll be honest with you, um, it kind of, uh, I don't know, it hits a little close to home. 
And some of what Jesus says stepped on their toes, and good news, bad news, I don't know which it is, uh, it's going to step on our toes as well. So this is going to be the laws of the day. Next week, I'll just give you a warning, parents. Uh, Next week, if you look at your headings, uh, it's verses about uh, lust and divorce and oaths. And we're going to talk about the laws of I. I deserve this. I'm going to get this. Uh, That's next week's piece of the the chiasm. And so I promise I'm going to keep everything super PG-13, and we're going to to treat it uh, appropriately. But if that's not a subject you want to talk about uh, with your kids next week, then uh, we have an awesome opportunity for children's ministry uh, that uh, day as well. So let's look at this. Uh, we're going to look at you know the laws of they, how how we treat the they's in our life, and what Jesus says that God expects of us. He starts in verse uh, twenty-one. He says, "You have heard it said." Let me let me stop for a second. You have heard it said. You've heard it said. Um, every every piece that he begins with, he says, you've heard this said in your groups and when you go to your church, when you go to synagogue, you've heard it said this way, but I'm going to say to you, you probably know of Jesus saying phrases like that. Um, each, each piece begins with, you have heard it said, but I'm going to tell you this other thing. I'm going to tell you the true meaning of that thing. You have heard it said that if you uh, don't cross that line at a certain point at the red light, that you can get through scot-free. But the cop is going to say, but I say to you, I didn't like the way you sped through that and you hammered down. You can't go through the intersection at 80 miles per hour and, and think I'm not going to call you on the red light. Uh, you have heard it said by Jesse this way, but I'm, I'm telling you it's this way. Uh, some people think, uh, they're trying to see like, who was talking about all this? Why, who's Jesus? responding to when uh, he says that you have heard it said. Uh, There is a um, uh, kind of a collection of oral teachings uh, that the the Jews had at the time. Uh, They are called the Talmud and the Midrash, and there's probably a few others. And and people have taught and said that Jesus, when he says, you've heard it said, that he's actually quoting one of those oral traditions that they had, uh, and then he's correcting them on it. And so I thought it would be helpful if I told you what the the Talmud was and the the Midrash are, that uh, in Jewish mind, uh, God laid down the law with Moses and said, if you follow this, I'll be your God and I'll bless you. But the last, you know, 800 years of their existence has been being judged by God and dealing with the consequences of not following God's law. And so during that time, there was a tradition that was taught where they would try to go back to the law and they would try to explain it uh, and try to understand what God meant. And then over time, that, that oral understanding, that commentary on the law became just as legally binding as the law. And so the law grew bigger and bigger. Here's what they thought. They thought all of their problems, and maybe you think this too, They thought all of their problems were based on the fact that God's mad at me. Uh, I didn't follow his laws perfectly, and we're going to do, doggone it, we're going to do better. We're going to grit our teeth, and we're going to do better and better and better. And it got more and more complicated as it went on. Here's a copy of just one passage. I was going to read it, but my eyes glaze over, so I'm not going to do that to you. But uh, this is a piece of the Talmud. Uh, It is 1,613 pages long, the Talmud, and then that's not even counting the Midrash. Just for reference, my copy of the Bible is uh, 500 pages less than the entire Talmud. So it's just a lot of rules. And they would take pieces of the law and try to explain it. This this one piece right here is um, them trying to explain how to figure out when New Year's day is. This is it. And here's how the argument went. There was a court of three judges and the three judges go outside and they look at the moon and it's the moon that they need for the the New Year's day. And then they go inside and they're supposed to announce it's the moon. It's the New Year's day. Uh, God's going to be happy because we have our New Year's day festival on this day. It's the right day. But then someone says, well, hey, there's only three judges and you were all witnesses. And doesn't the law say that uh, a, a witness can't be a judge? Oh yeah, it does say that. So what do we do? I don't know. 
Well, we have to declare the new moon or else like God might be mad at us again. What are we going to do? And so there's this whole argument back and forth. Well, Rabbi this says this, and but Rabbi this says this, and Rabbi this says this, and he disagrees with him, and who are you going to believe? And this is why the Sadducees and Pharisees are always at odds with each other, because they're arguing about like how are we going to make God happy by following every piece of the law? It's so complicated. It's nearly 2,000 pages of here's how you handle the moon and here's how you handle the amount of salt that you have and here's the amount of yeast that you have. And their, their hope is to make God happy somehow by following all of the rules. And Jesus begins, he's like, you've heard it said this way. I'm going to simply tell you what it's really like. So here's what he says. In verse 21, he says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, if, if we paused right there, uh, and you were hearing Jesus lay down like the beginnings of what appears to be a new religion. And he starts with, hey, let's talk about murder. You've heard it said that murder's wrong, right? It's like, whoa, are we about to do away with murder? Like, what, what direction is Jesus going right now? Because I've got some people on my list. Like, I've just been waiting for someone to say it was okay. He says, you've heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, brother would be liable to judgment. He takes, he takes what was an external action, murder. Like you have to plan it. You've got to go after it. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get it done. I, I'm not going to make too many jokes about it because there's some stuff in the news recently in our own communities that, that there was just, just a plan and it was awful. Uh, but that's, that's an external action. You might look at a murderer and think, well, I'm better than you. And Jesus says, well, actually... I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The word liable, by the way, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, a court word. It means to be indicted. Uh, indicted, does indicted mean guilty? Anybody know? Any lawyers in the room? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean guilty. You can be indicted for anything. It just means like, hey, we're going to take you to the judge and let you figure it out in the court. And he says, he says whoever, whoever uh, is angry with his brother will be liable or will be indicted to judgment. And then he escalates it. Whoever insults his brother will be liable or indicted to the council. You're going to go stand before the people. And whoever says you fool, or some of your translation says raka, which is Aramaic. I wish we had a cool word like raka. Could you imagine, like you're just so mad at someone. Susan from accounting said something that was really mean. It's just like raka. You just yell it at her. She wouldn't even know what you're saying. Uh, but don't say it because it says, if you yell, you fool, we'll be liable to the hell of fire. The word that Jesus uses for hell is this word Gehenna. And it, he may be euphemistically talking about an eternal place of judgment, but specifically it has a geographical location and it's just outside of Jerusalem. So as he's saying this, uh, people, anybody who visited Jerusalem would know Gehenna is awful. Gehenna is a, is a dump. It's south of Jerusalem. Uh, all, all of the city was up on this mountain. And then there's this valley just to the south uh, uh, and, and it's where they just burn all their garbage. So there's constantly fire there. There's worms. It smelled gross. Anybody, anybody during one of the hurricanes have to take all your trash to the dump? And then like the wind is blowing in from the south. You're like, man, this is a bad day to be at the dump. Like it just it smells awful, right? Uh, Gehenna physically uh, and historically was known as a place where like awful things were happening. There were times where they were just like, uh, you're kicked out of the city and they would toss a human being down into Gehenna and they'd get burned a little bit uh, and they would smell bad. And it's just, you don't want to go there uh, at, at all. And, and he's saying that instead of it being an external murder thing, uh, he says in the heart, 
we, we hold ourselves liable. We, we can be indicted uh, for our anger and holding anger against someone else. He says, verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. That's a, that's a weird request right off. In, in their world, uh, if you have a problem, if you've wronged God, you have to take your gift, your, your lamb or your pigeon, and you have to take it to, to the temple. You have to sacrifice it. And Jesus says that the, the, God's heart is that if you, if you do all of that, and you're really worried that God might be mad at you, and so you've taken your offering to him, you've shown up at the temple to take care of your relationship with God, and as you're in the middle of it, you've, you've spent the money and the time preparing this gift for that appropriate sacrifice, and while you're there, you remember Oh man, I was really mean to Susan last week. I don't know why I keep picking on Susan. I, I don't even know who she is. Uh, I, I, was, I was kind of a jerk to her. You remember that. Jesus says, stop what you're doing. God would rather you go and fix your relationship with Susan than to do some sort of offering to try to appease him. God is much more interested in our relationship with each other than us just going through religious motions to appease him and hope that we don't have judgment laying on our heads. So leave your gift there before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. God doesn't want us to show up with our gifts, our religiousness, our sacrifices, ignoring the things that we know we've wronged in other relationships around us. God would much rather, married couples, God would much rather we uh, maybe skip a Sunday to go and just apologize to our spouse for that argument that we know that we were wrong, but we've been really like hoping that, uh, you know, they would just see our side and just win um, than, than showing up to church and just going through the motions. We don't, we don't get credit for going through religious activity at the expense of not taking care of our relationships with each other. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with them to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, uh, the thing about anger is that when we're anger, angry with someone, we are so sure that we're right. We're, we're absolutely honest. We're like, we're the good guy. That's the bad guy. And, and I know this to be true. And Jesus seems to be suggesting that when you hold that position, you are driving yourself to a place where the judge is going to figure out who's right and who's wrong. You're indicted. You're entering court. And he says it's better for you to ignore who's right and who's wrong and just reconcile it. Do what you can to fix it. Because if you let it go all the way to court, you might find out that your position on yourself is actually biased that you actually didn't see the truth clear. You might find out that maybe they are wrong and you're wrong. Maybe both parties are wrong. But to enter the courtroom and to ask the judge to mediate this is to say, I, I, I refuse to let this go. Um, you take care of it. And maybe the judge will look down and say, I think, I think you both have a little bit of ownership in this. You know, every, every parent, every teacher, uh, every counselor, anybody in here who is the good friend who hears like the, the, the spouse who's mad at the spouse should know, a wise one would know. There are two sides at least to every story. I heard someone say recently there are actually three sides to every story. There's, there's his version, and there's her version, and then there's the truth. Uh, I always know my version pretty well. I've got it down. I've got it down pat. Like you, you, can't, you can't correct me on my version, and I'm pretty sure your version is wrong. But if I, if I take this, if I ride this all the way to the point where someone has to figure it out, I might actually find out that I have some ownership in this as well. 
And Jesus said it would be wiser and better for us to just clear the account and let, let it go and reconcile before you get to court. Let's keep going. Uh, we're going to skip all the you know, like next several bits. We'll come back to it next week. And go to verse 38. Another, you have heard it said. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that sounds, man, that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's some playground justice right there, right? Oh, uh, Billy the bully uh, knocks you in the mouth, and so you just lay him out. You just like, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, we're going, we're going to town. Um, some people, you know, they talk about this, and this is like, uh, they say, well, this is part of the law, it's Old Testament, but it's actually older than that. You know, uh, in, in Babylon, there was a guy who's a king, uh, the first uh, written laws that we have copies of is Hammurabi's Code of Ethics or something like that. And it was written four or 500 years before the Ten Commandments were written down. That's how old this stuff is. And in Hammurabi's law, it says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, some people who study that, uh, you and I, we read that like, you punch me in the face, I'm going to punch you in the face. And because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, this is what we do. But they actually look at Hammurabi and the other ancient world, and they say it's more of a, a reference on uh, limiting your response. And so here, here's, here's what would happen without the law. Without the law, you punch me in the face, and I go slash your tires, burn your house down, and like steal your dog or something like that. Like I just go completely napalm nuclear on you. Uh, and then Hammurabi's law would come in and say, like, listen, that wasn't an appropriate response. Like he just, like it was just one little knock to the cheek, eye for an eye. Like you should have limited your response to that. But as time grew, people understood it the way you and I understood it. It's like, I'm going to get what's mine. I will not let a wrong uh, go unchecked. A lot of us, we carry around in us a ledger, a ledger of people who treated us wrong that one time, a ledger of people who've wronged us, a ledger of people who've said mean things to us. And that ledger has so much weight and it occupies so much of our space and our time because we want to balance it out. You, you and I, we're human. I'm just talking to humans. We want to, we want to balance it out. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, this balancing act. But I say to you, verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. They, they're like, hey, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take your undershirt. And he's like, ah, here, you can have my, you have my nice leather coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. When, when Jesus is saying this, there's a military outpost right outside the city. And a Roman centurion by Roman law could force you into uh, servitude uh, for the distance of one mile by law. And you couldn't resist it. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything about it, legally speaking. Um, so you take my shield, you, you hold my horse, uh, don't hold my horse, lead my horse, uh, you, you take my sword and you go one mile. And so legally you would get uh, 0.8 mile, 0.9 mile, you get to mile, boom, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. You're grumbling the whole time. And Jesus says, hey, after you've done that one mile, go, go the second mile. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow you. In, in Jesus's ethic, um, keeping a balance of what people owes you uh, doesn't, doesn't match up and it doesn't, doesn't help. Some people read this and, uh, and maybe you do too. You read this and you're like, that's, that's a recipe for getting just taken advantage of over 
and over and over again. It would be helpful to know that in verse uh, 39, that word resist, I had to look this up uh, because resist is such a kind of, in English, it's a loose word. It just means like, uh, I told you to go there and I just kind of like begrudgingly move that way, kind of like kids do. You know, like I say, go clean your room. Like you can't make me go any faster than this. I'm going, but I'm resisting. Uh, Resist could could mean a lot. So I looked it up. And so in Greek, I put a little note right here. Maybe you want to hear this as well. Uh, Resist means uh, to stand against, to establish one's position publicly by conspicuously holding one's ground. That's conspicuously holding one's ground. And so the, the soldier would come up and say, hey, uh, I need you to go with me one mile. And so you conspicuously hold your ground. And so you start announcing, I'm going to go with you your one mile. Whoop-de-doo. And you just kind of, you just make this big show about it. And you're like, he can't do anything because technically you're doing exactly what he told you to do. And technically you're following the law, but you're conspicuously holding your ground. How many of us, uh, myself included, I'm I'm not here wagging my finger at anybody else, myself included, uh, sometimes when I'm wronged, like I, I'll go along with it because you know I don't have the power, or maybe like I'm required to for some reason. But I'll conspicuously hold my ground. Like I'll make a big show of it. Like sure, if I have to, and just kind of go through the whole motions, and I'll do just to the very minimum of what I have to do. Right? And there's that temptation. Like I'm just I'm going to go to that one spot, and it's like you know I'm going to drop it. Uh, Mom says pick up your clothes, and so you pick them up. And he put them on the couch. You didn't tell me where to put them, Mom. Conspicuously, like, ah, I picked them up. Well, no. no. Just like Mom is mad at you for conspicuously holding your ground, God, or Jesus says that in, in God's e- economy, the way that that law should have been understood isn't to just barely do the minimum. It isn't to always keep a record of who's wronged you. It is to not conspicuously hold your ground. It's to not resist them and just say, you know what? I'm going to quietly uh, do what needs to be done here. Uh, I'm not going to make a big show about it. Uh, It's not about being taken advantage of. It's about not drawing attention to yourself unnecessarily. Because we live in a world, you and I, we live in an America that to be victimized is to like, I've got to tell everybody. I've got to tell everybody all the problems that so-and-so. Do you know that Walmart lost my order last week? Did you know that? And everybody's like, oh, Walmart, come on. Golly, and then we just conspicuously make a big show about everything. And Jesus says the better way is to just quietly take care of stuff. It's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's not about keeping the ledger clean. It's stop resisting. Stop making a big show of things. Verse 43. And now we get to the hardest part of all. You've heard it said, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And all of us know where he's going because we've been around church long enough, but we're all just thinking, please don't say it. Please, please don't go where you think you're going because Susan in accounting has it coming and I'm the one to give it to her. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure she gets what's coming to her. Uh, but I say, Jesus, I, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. You know, what's uh, always fascinating to me is uh, he does not say what I hear most Christians say. And even most parents meaning well will say some version of this. Oh, honey, it's not your enemy. You just, there's a misunderstanding. Jesus doesn't remove the category of enemy from the conversation. He acknowledges that you may have people in your life that they hold a position of being your enemy. And he says it's not okay to hate them. Love them. Here's how he finishes it. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the hardest ethic of all. 
Because this, this ethic says this, not only, not only do I uh, have to reconcile with my friends when I'm mad at them, and not only do I, in Jesus's understanding of the kingdom, not only do I not get to make a big show of it when someone has wronged me, but in the quiet stillness of my heart, what God really wants from me isn't just outward expressions of, I hope it works out for you, but quietly when no one's looking to literally pray for my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. Pray for the one who is such a jerk to you and ask God to bless them. Are you kidding me? Now, now in our world, we have Susan from accounting to deal with. In their world, they have the centurion who has conquered their land 100 years ago. And and he's like, they're they're taking my village, taking my land. I I don't get to put put a house where I want. And you're telling me I pray for that person and hope that God blesses them? Are you you joking? Why? 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 Why is this our expectation? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45. Oh, so you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. The reason why we bless those who persecute us, the reason why we pray for those who are our enemies is so that we start to look more like God. You know, there's another time in the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't even like me, I need you to turn to Hebrews. No, this is, this is he, he's already said this. This phrase, sons of your father in heaven, uh, in verse nine, way before it's not gonna show up on the screen, but it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then he gets to this, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be called sons of your father who is in heaven. This is what peacemaking really looks like. Peacemaking isn't hanging out with people who you're friends with and being nice to them. Peacemaking is looking at situations that are really awful and people who may or may not be on your side and fighting to make peace with them. And by doing so, we start to look like God in the process. How? How do we start to look like God? Well, Jesus says uh, at the end of verse 45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Isn't it true uh, that right now in your life, as you as a follower of Jesus, uh, you have moments that you see God's blessing all around you. Your family was protected in that moment. Uh, the job or the raise or the thing, the resource that you needed. It's like, I see, I see his hand there. Um, there was this conversation that you didn't think it would happen, and, 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 but I'm a follower of Jesus, and so of course that's why he's blessing me. But isn't it also true that you could see good moments before you were committed to Jesus where it was just, there was peace. Brief as it may have been, there were moments where things just it came together. There was good there was that Christmas morning, even though, even though your uncle or your dad or whoever was this raging alcoholic and, 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 and there's, there's always this, this frustration, there's always this drama, but there, you remember that one Christmas morning where it just, it just came together and family was family and it was good. Why? Why is that there? Why, why did the one who knew nothing about Jesus had a moment of peace? Because Jesus says that God uh, makes the sun rise on evil and the good, that that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. If, if God waited for everybody to act perfect before he sent blessings, we'd all be sitting around thinking, golly, man, is it ever going to like, you know, chill out? The weather is going crazy. No, no, no. Our, our world uh, 
We, we, don't, we don't get to measure God's love for us by our circumstances. You, your life going bad is not necessarily a sign that God is mad at you, and your life going good is also not necessarily a sign that God is really thumbs upping your, your life in that moment. It's just the truth. He causes the sun to rise on evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust because he's a good God. And when we do the same, when we, when we pray for our enemies, we're looking more like our Father who is in heaven. Verse 46, for if you love the one who loves you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's not enough just to love those who love us. Um, Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And then he lands the plane with us. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's, It's not enough to go letter of the law, follow it, and just say, I've done everything I can. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to force God to like me. Uh, Jesus says that the expectation is perfection. Jesus said before, last week, if you remember, that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, we will not enter the kingdom. And now he's raised the bar even higher. And he says that where the bar actually is, is God. That's Perfection. And if we're not careful, we read that and then we get all down in our fields and we're like, oh, well, that means that we can't measure up, right? That means, I mean, I'm not perfect. Anybody in here? I'm not perfect. Um, so what, what do we do with that? Well, Jesus has already answered. He, sa- he said that he has fulfilled the law. So let's, let's land this plane uh, for today. Uh, and, and I want to I give you kind of three uh, takeaways as we, as we ponder the law of the they, uh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, the I, and I, I get what I deserve, and so they get what they deserve. Um, but this week, I, w- I want to look at this. The king, uh, Jesus, as a matter of first importance, cares about how we treat the others, the they in our life. He, 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 he said, this, is, this is primarily important in the kingdom, and how we regard those others in our heart. It's not just external movements. I said the nice thing. He actually intends for our heart to want what's best for the they in our lives. In both our inner and our outer world, we are to be reconcilers, merciful, and peacemakers. A lot of people read uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And remember I told you that a chiasm is this echoing moment where the, the ideas echo each other? And certainly we see that he opened with anger here and then he talks about retaliation later. And so we see how those are echoing with each other. But, but some people say that he's also echoing back to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a little bit of an extra loop in the chiasm uh, because, because he talks about making peace and being, being merciful to those who didn't deserve it and being reconcilers instead of holding a grudge. What, what we need to learn and what we need to understand from, from Jesus's words here is that God, yes, he cares about how we physically act in this world, but he also cares about and holds us accountable for how we turn our heart in the quietness of our heart. He wants us to love our enemies, literally, and that is not an easy task. But he empowers us uh, to do so. If, I'm going to get to First John here in a second. So let's go to the second one. Uh, despite the rumors, despite what you may have heard, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how you came up and learned about Christianity, but despite the rumors, um, kingdom citizens, you and I who call ourselves Christians, are not expected or even permitted to hate another person. There, there isn't another person that we're allowed to hate, ever. Jesus would say, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't give you permission for that. When, when, uh, when 
Paul would write his words. There's a, a kind of a jerk of an emperor. Uh, we, we, have, we have our emperors and our leaders, and they're like trying to, you know, change uh, 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 social security and tax policy. We're like, you're a monster. Uh, they had emperors that would kill a Christian and hang them up on a stake and light them for light at night to make sure that you can see where you're going. It was a different world there. And, and Paul would say, hey, uh, pray for your leaders. Uh, love those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse those who persecute you. We as Christians do not have permission to hate anyone. And, and we are breaking that commandment when we look at our, the Susans in our life, uh, when, we, when we point to a politician and we say, I can't stand that monster. If, if, if uh, hmm. I can't say that without getting too political. Um, okay, then I'll go. Uh, Jesus is not okay with Christians pointing at either Trump or Biden or Obama or Bush, pick whoever you want, and Christians saying, I hate that person. I I hope worst for them. The king has ruled that out as being an option for us. We can be, as, as Americans, we can be critical, and we can discuss our political views. We can even debate the, the merits of political stances. But let me, let me just put this out there, and maybe this is like mind-boggling to, to some of us or some of our friends, but I believe that both Trump and Biden actually wanted what's best for the country. They just disagreed by what that looked like. I believe that both, both Bush and Obama or John Kerry and I don't know, fill in the gaps with whoever, Ross Perot, we can go way back, uh, that they actually all believed um, that their viewpoint was best for America. And they wanted what's best. And for any Christian to point at any of these leaders, say, I hate them. I, I hope the worst for them is a violation of this law that Jesus is, is laying down. We're not allowed uh, to hate another person, regardless of what position they hold publicly or privately. Look with me in First uh, John. Let me let me show you how this is aired out because you know we're in uh, you know Sermon on the Mount. So this is this is Sermon on the Mount before the cross. First John is is after the cross. Here's here's how John uh, kind of wraps up this whole idea, starting in verse seven, chapter one, verse seven. It says, "Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandments. I want to tell you something. It's not new. You've heard this before." Uh, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. I love that John is just like, ah, you know, maybe this is new to some of you. Uh, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. If we find in ourselves the ability to hate another person, John says that that's still darkness kind of permeating in us. It's not light. We can say, I'm a Christian and I hate that person. John says that those things can't be compatible. And so, and so what we have to deal with is the darkness that we find in ourselves. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And what do you do when you're in the darkness? When I walk in this room, this is what I do. He's in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. To let hate and anger and, and just like keeping that ledger in our heart, John would say that it darkens our eyes and it makes us blind and we don't know where we're going anymore. We're stumbling through this life. We're constantly tripping over the same thing over and over again. 
And there's a better way. The better way is to love our enemies. The better way is to forgive those who wrong us and, and not hold the ledger. But just like Jesus said, uh, we'll go to that next slide. Um, we're expected to be perfect. So I'm going to pull a Jesus move real quick. You know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, uh, you've heard it said that nobody's perfect. I, I've said that. I'm not perfect. And my excuse is nobody's perfect. You catch me in a wrong, you know, I, you caught me running that red light or you caught me speeding or you, you caught me just like having a bad day. And as an excuse, I look at you and say, well, look, honestly, nobody's perfect. Right. But Jesus says, I say to you, um, we must be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. The level is perfection, and we all look at ourselves, and we look in the mirror, and we excuse ourselves because nobody is perfect. What do, what do we do with that? And it sounds like really bad news except this. Jesus fulfilled the law. We have to keep coming back to that main point. Jesus fulfilled the law. Last passage I'm going to read. First uh, John, same, same page I was at before. Chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we are perfect, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have done nothing wrong, I don't need any forgiveness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what John says. If we say that we're perfect, um, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But didn't Jesus say that we have to be perfect because God is perfect? Well, read verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the beauty of it. We, we, we read um, the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll finish uh, some stuff tomorrow or next week, uh, and it's just like all the time. It's like, I'm, I'm not measuring up. I, I, need, I need some help. And we're, we're faced with the fact that all of our ships are sinking, if not for Jesus. But Jesus fulfilled the law. And if we confess our sins to Jesus... He is both faithful, which is really, really good news, but he's just, legally speaking, he is justified because he fulfilled the law to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this, this whole message, we're talking about anger and who we're mad at and frustration. You say, Jesse, I can't let it go. What do I do with this? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of that and to cleanse you from that. You're not perfect, and neither am I. But the Christian walk is one confession at a time being made perfect, a little bit at a time. So we start to look more and more like this, this kingdom that Jesus is pointing us to, and it's completely different in the world. The freedom that we have when we say, this is the ledger of all the people who have done wrong things to me, the freedom we have when we put it down and say, I'm no longer carrying that around anymore. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I want freedom from that. The king says that that's possible because he fulfilled the law. Let me pray. I'm two minutes over. Uh, please forgive me. It's the law. Uh, and then we'll watch the, the queue together. Father, um, may, you, uh, may you help us. Uh, this is so much heavier than just working out the motions and just following a, a certain set of rules. Lord, our, our hearts are not always in tune with what you want, and, and we need heart surgery. Um, Lord, I pray for Carpenter's Way, God, that you would protect the people in this room and the families represented in this room, that you would protect us from the, the sting of anger and hate, that you'd protect us from that ledger and constantly trying to keep up with who's wronged us. Father, help us to forgive our enemies. Help us pray for their good. 
Help us to look like you in the process. And everywhere that we fall short, Father, give us the courage to turn to you and cry out, Father, I've sinned. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me. Help us be known as reconcilers in your world. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.